You're listening to Sphera Now, a podcast for environmental health, safety, and quality professionals around the globe. This is brought to you by Sphera, the largest global provider of integrated risk management software and information services with a focus on environmental health and safety, operational risk, and product stewardship. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Sphera Now podcast. I'm James Trani, Sparks Editor-in-Chief. Today on the program, I'll be speaking with Andy Bartlett, Sphera's Solution Consultant for Operational Risk Management. We'll be discussing the 14 elements of process safety management and more. Thank you so much for joining me today, Andy. Well, thank you for the introduction, James. I'm uh, looking forward to discussing process safety management with you. Oh, this this is fun. This is going to be a great time. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your background? I hear you have a ton of experience with process safety. Yes, um, I've been in the energy industry and the chemical industry since 1971. Started off working in the field as an operator and worked my way up to uh, being a member of management. I took a degree in uh, um, safety management during that time. And I've seen a lot, learned a lot. And if only I could pass it all on in one go, that would you know help other people. Um, when you look at the, the big the big incidents, the big messages, you know, Piper Alpha in the UK and North Sea, Flixborough on the UK land-based, uh, Cerveso in Italy, Texas City, all of them have lessons learned. And, and looking at uh, some CCPS material recently, they are saying that, you know, not all the lessons are being learned. We're still getting repeat incidents. And of course, there's the Marsh 100 incident report that comes out. I think it's every two years. It gets renewed and it tells you all the big incidents. And they're still saying the same thing. People aren't learning from P process safety incidents. And I have to ask that question, why? Is it because we don't have technology? Does the the corporate memory, which this is 10 year cycles, does it disappear and the same incidents are happening again or something similar? So, you know, that, that's my my look at life. I, I would love for process safety to be inbred into, you know, all of these industries, but uh, unfortunately it's not yet. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting. That actually was my question. Why aren't these companies learning from these incidents? It seems like if there, especially if there's a uh, an explosion or something uh, horrible that comes of it, that you there that companies would really take heed and want to do something about it. Um, and I'm sure there are a lot of companies that are, but some of the companies I'm guessing are not as passionate about this. Well, the th- the thing is, is that. Yes, they're all passionate. Management don't want these type of incidents on their watch. It's bad for business. It's bad for um, employees. It's bad for the surrounding communities. So, you know, the question always is, is why do they keep happening? So, again, I'll come back to, is the technology available now to help these people manage it better? And I think it is. It's just that they don't know about it. Interesting. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the 14 elements of process safety management. Um, can you give us a little background on what that means exactly and where that's coming from? Well, OSHA brought out the 14 PSM elements, um, and uh, they have been modified by other companies. CCCPS have modified them, uh, DuPont have modified them, but uh, as the law stands in the USA, these are the ones that uh, they can be fined for. Uh, for not following. So if you look at the the first one, process safety information, which is uh, having all the information available for people to do uh, hazard analysis, 
to be available to do work on equipment, to be able to write new procedures, to be able to do upgrade work. And, and the question is, you know, um, where are they stored? Are they stored in paper manuals? And I, I, I remember um, so, somebody, an ex-colleague of mine saying they'd worked in an American company, and I'm not degrading Americans in this fact, where all, <laughs> all, of, the, all of the paperwork was kept in dusty books on the shelf and nobody ever looked at them. Well, you know, we have technology today that, that can help with that. And what, what is the risk, you know, in using out-of-date documents and drawings? Well, you know, when you've done a management of change, if the drawings aren't updated, have the people been trained on the latest thing? Are you going to perform a, a process hazard analysis with outdated drawings? There is a risk there, and we, we are in the business of minimizing risk. So, sure. again, you know, we, we need to do it better. We need to start using technology so that we have the latest uh, information available. Exactly. And so let me ask you this about those dusty books that you're seeing. Um, so it seems like that's a huge issue, especially when you're talking about transferring information like you were talking about earlier about you have all this information about process safety in your mind and you want to get that to other people. But if you're you have this dusty book um, and you're doing maybe say an isolation, it seems like that's not the best way to um, to transfer that information to the next workers or if somebody retires or if somebody just new joins the company. It, it seems like that's a huge problem. Yeah, that's where you, you have to get into the, the training programs, have to look at, you know, what what they need to know to be able to do the job. You can't train somebody on everything on process safety management in, 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 a, in a short period of time. It, it requires experience. And Nowadays, you have uh, process safety engineers who they go to college and they get a degree in process safety and they learn all about the, the programs and policies that are with whichever country they, they're working in that have to be in play. But actual experience of what goes wrong in the field only comes with time. And that's where these major incidents, reading about major incidents, studying major incidents and what went wrong. Is, is one of the ways for, for gaining experience quickly. And I'm not saying that's the only way. Um, sure. And you talk about people who leave, you know, you, the brain drain um, or shift change or the, the global shift change, as it's been called. There's a lot of people that left the industry over the last 15 years or so who, who know a lot. And there hasn't been a, um, an organized way of, of debriefing them. Um, I, I was with a company who tried to do that, but it was just too much. You know, what do you ask people? How do you write it down? Where do you store it? Who has uh, access to it after it's done, you know? So so um, keeping the files up to date electronically so that when you want to work on a particular piece of equipment, you put in the tag number and up comes the latest version of the drawing, the latest version of the procedure, the latest version of the manufacturer's information, which is also important because manufacturers will give you information on, on, on what the speed of a motor would maximize, what the minimum thickness of the steel should be on piping, things like that. So this is all information you need to know, especially when you're preparing to do a process hazard analysis, or when you're preparing to do a turnaround and you're gonna modify something, are you implementing management of change? All this information is, is required. Mm -hmm. And access to it and storage are, are, the, are the, always the questions.
So can you talk a little bit about the evolution of the technology over the years? I'm guessing back in the 1970s, you didn't have this kind of uh, technology at your fingertips. Um, well, I, 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 was, I wasn't going to mention this, but I think, I think it, it fits. Is that the first chemical company I worked for, um, we had a site engineer. And maybe you could call him a process safety engineer, but he was the, the site engineer. And one of his jobs was to remove all the labels from all the chemicals coming in so that nobody else apart from him knew what chemicals were going to be used. Now, this was before the um, 1973 uh, Safety Work Act in the UK, so they could get away with that then, was that, you know, we were handling chemicals. We had no idea what they were. And they were mixed together as part of the process. So... Um, today, uh, that's not allowed. Uh, everybody has the right to know what they're handling. They have the right to know through the MSDS what they should be wearing while they're handling a particular chemical. Uh, the chemicals that are stored in the facility are all known to the workers because that is the law. But in those days, well, it wasn't. And uh, we, we did have incidents where people got burned with chemicals uh, handling and myself being one of them. Do oh, maybe wow. to Maybe it's to my own carelessness, but also not being aware of how dangerous the stuff actually was. So today we have the technology. We have, as I said, the MSDSs or SDSs that they sometimes called safety data sheets that mm -hmm. tell you, you know, what's the PPE you have to wear for this particular chemical? What's your exposure limits? Uh, how dangerous it is to the uh, surrounding environment, etc. And we now have that on a, on a computer where you can go in and you say, OK, I'm going to uh, be doing something and you punch it, punch in the name of what you've got uh, and what you're going to be handling. And it comes up with the, the details. And also the law in most countries is that a safety data sheet is displayed at the point of use. So when you go to a mixing drum with your chemicals or when you go to a, a place where you're going to inject the chemicals into a process, that sign will be there telling you everything you need to know. So that, that's. That's what technology is bringing us uh, on that particular point. Sure. Uh, there's, you know, technology is helping us, like the the uh, electronic PNIDs, where you also the process sort of the process instrument diagrams. You don't have to go into uh, the library and, and get a folded up drawing and put it on a table and start to read it. You can actually bring it up on a computer screen and you can zoom into the part you were interested in. And when you're doing a process hazard analysis, you can actually color a line and, and follow it through the drawings. So there's, yeah, the technology is helping us to uh, make decisions better that hopefully will reduce the risk of anything happening again. Very interesting. Um, so let me ask you this about the 14 elements, just to get back to that. So it sounds like when you were talking about your experience um, uh, when you you had the accident in the early 1970s that seems to fall under the trade secrets i would guess um section of the 14 elements is that correct yes um if we if we'd had process safety management back in those days yes that probably would um of course the osha wasn't uh, applicable in the uk but there will you know there is laws that are applicable similar to that now so yes that is uh, the trade secrets um need to be kept in-house because the particular uh, chemicals that we were dealing with was a formula for um, PVC, 
polyvinyl chloride, which was uh, very kept very very secret because everybody was trying to make the best PVC that there was, and uh, I can understand why it was done at the time. I see, and int that's interesting. I, I'm, I'm, hopefully, you're okay these days, but um, uh, I, I'm curious how other countries use similar um, uh, uh, similar uh, or take similar tax toward the 14 elements. So this is an OSHA regulation, but what do other countries do that are similar that, uh, or do they kind of um, uh, piggyback on what the what OSHA does with the 14 elements? Well, I can talk about Saudi Arabia, okay. where they, ha they have the um, process safety. Uh, OSHA is embedded within their safety management system. And safety management systems uh, are, like an upgrade of OSHA, where you have a lot more information for the workers, specifically for the workers and for the people who are going to use process safety. And, it, you know, a, a safety management system will have the personal safety and the process safety, and it will be in a, in, a, in a format that is easy enough to follow compared with in the olden days when, you know, safety was the responsibility of the safety people because the message now in most most companies is that safety is everybody's responsibility and that you shouldn't if you see something unsafe you should raise your hand and uh, let, let management or your supervisor know that something unsafe is happening so th that brings us down to you know the knowledge of the people uh, mm. who who are working in the companies how do you get process safety knowledge uh, one of the elements in OSHA is being employee participation, where um, employees must be made aware of everything that's going on. Um, and you ask the question, what is the risk if the employees are not aware? Well, most frontline employees are aware of personal safety rules, but they're not so much aware of what the process safety. So there is a push, there has been a push to train those people in the front line on uh, you know, what process safety means to them. And uh, as, as we have technology that shows process safety deviations and the visibility um, through barrier models be, can be seen by ev everybody in the workforce. They can see what the risk levels are in a plant. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you one example. Back in the, in the 80s, I was doing a, um, a pre-commissioning walkthrough and I spotted a, a brass drain valve on a carbon steel line. So the, 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 the line would eventually contain hydrocarbons. And I'm looking at this and they're, well, that, that, that shouldn't be there. You know, who, who's, and I was thinking, am I the first person to walk past this? No. Am I the first person who's aware of process safety? Well, maybe. So that told me that there was a lot of people wondering about that particular site. And at the, at the time, it was one of the biggest gas plants in the world, was that there were people out there who didn't know about process safety and didn't know that a brass drain valve on a carbon steel line was not allowed. Wow. So, the, you know, I have these little nuggets that come to me now and again, but, you know, I think back, well, okay, how how can we prevent that? Well, you, you know, training, sure. familiarization. But I'm curious, though, as, as you go to companies and you consult with companies and you ask them about process safety management, if you would ask them for a definition, would they all be able to give you the same definition or are, it, would it be all over the place, depending on what company you're at? Okay, I, I, would, I wouldn't say company, I would say country. Okay. Uh, 
in in the states, uh, OSHA is is the regulatory. They get fined for not following it. In Canada, they have their own system. But then you've got people like CCPS, which is uh, the AICHE arm, and they've got their own process safety, risk-based, which is a step up from OSHA, but it's not law. But it has got a lot of good advice on how to implement process safety and how to manage it better. Um, the regulatory wording of OSHA um, more or less tells you what you should have. The uh, CCPS uh, model tells you how to do it, how to implement it. And in the UK, we have HSE, uh, the, the government uh, have have a website full of information on how to help you implement the uh, process safety here, which uh, the, the safety case, as it's called, um, each company has, you know, that is required to do a safety case has to do it a particular way. It has to have the right information. And all of that is process safety information um, that is there to protect the asset, to protect the investment. So let me ask you this. Um getting back to uh, organizations and companies, are there still companies out there that are just focused on compliance um, rather than the the other uh, uh, capabilities they could have by implementing uh, software solutions that seem to be able to produce um, uh, integrated risk management and um, predictive and per- perhaps prescriptive opportunities? I couldn't say for definite there are companies that only comply, but when you look at incidents and you, you know, like the Chemical Safety Board investigations, you'll see some of the recommendations that they weren't even complying with OSHA at the time. So, yes, and is it is it a cost issue? Is it a knowledge issue? I, I would tend to say it's a cost issue in some places. Smaller companies. Uh, might not be as um, regulatory in their approach to OSHA. They might think they can get away with some of the things, but um, the big companies, I'd, I think in every big company, they are going to comply. Their reputation is on the line. If it's not compliance that causes an incident, it's probably because somebody, the human factor, became involved Um and Texas City, you know, a lot of human factors there. The guy who was on shift wasn't the, the guy who had gone home who should have been there for some reason. The guy who was uh, handling the shift wasn't really uh, up to scratch. Um, the um, instrumentation uh, failures, uh, they knew about them. They hadn't been followed up. The sighting of um, the trailers within uh, the actual unit that was being turned around um a lot of things that you know shouldn't have been shouldn't have happened did happen and and did the company who owned texas city at the time want them to happen no did they plan for them to happen no but did they take enough care in planning the work to ensure they didn't happen that's another no i think that the planning part of it was was poor sure that reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you saw the HBO miniseries Chernobyl that came out uh, about a year ago, but you watch that and there's just a confluence of errors that took place that led to what could have been, a, a, well, it was a disaster, but it could have been a massive, massive disaster. And it just, that reminds me a lot of that. 
Yeah, I, I did watch it, and and I was, you know, the interested in the, the the politics that were going on. There wasn't just politics. There was also, and this reminded me of the old days, is the people who were concerned about their own reputations rather than the people at the front line was, was one of the points I took from it. Yes, we, I think that's the, it's a really important point. I mean, safety is about people first, correct? Yeah. Well, you want to protect your employees, you want to protect your asset, and you want to protect the community. That's basically it, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so one of my colleagues asked me to ask you this. So, in your experience, has there any have the, has there been any areas of the fourteen elements that were not required? Well, I can, I can say they're all required, but the most difficult one is contractors. Oh, interesting. Due to my time in the industry, the majority of injuries of injuries and fatalities that I have observed were contractors. So. The companies that include contractor programs that treat the contractors as employees usually do better. And uh, we, we learned from that during the turnarounds that I, I worked out, we, we would try and involve our contractors in the safety programs that the employees were in. So they were working as a team. And not a lot of companies you know, do that. They treat the contractors with, you know, not as nice as they treat their employees. I'll put it that way. Hmm. So we, we found uh, that treating the contractors as employees was, was effective in reducing personal accident statistics. So how, how that would affect with, with, with process safety, I, I don't think I'm in a position to say. But the one thing, the thing is that when we do process hazard analysis, a lot of companies around the world, they employ specialist contractors. And those specialist contractors are there to do a job to, you know, Earn, uh, earn money for their company, and at the end of the day, they're going to give the handover a process hazard analysis study to the company that's paid for it. But they're not the ones who would be out there suffering if there was a mistake made. So uh, even then, you, you know, I think somebody from the companies involved has to go very carefully through these process hazard analysis and say, right, you know, they've done a good job, or if they haven't or not. So, yeah, contractors. Um, you know, the thing that stands in my mind is I came on shift um, and I think there was about 60 contractors all waiting to get a work permit from one guy who, who on a turnaround at a permit mm -hmm. station. And I think myself, OK, the person who's issuing these permits, there's no way he is following the procedure for issuing the permits. If he gets those 60 permits out, even within the shift, never mind the first half hour or an hour, you know, so. We put a lot of pressure on the contractors and we put a lot of pressure on our, you know, the employees uh, because with a paper-based system, you can't prepare beforehand. So that's, you know, when I, when I see that uh, control of work, which is, you know, Sphere's own uh, product, we, we can prevent uh, long permit queues, which wastes time and costs money, uh, but we can improve the risk factor by preparing the permits ahead of time and uh, scheduling them so that they're not all uh, coming to collect them at the same time. I see. And um, real quickly, let me just go through the 14 elements. Um, I hit there, process safety information, process hazard analysis, operating procedures and safe practices, hot work permit, emergency preparedness and response, mechanical integrity, pre-startup safety review, training, 
management of change, incident investigation, contractors, which we just talked about, compliance audits, employee involvement, and trade secrets. So let me ask you this. How can organizations assess their maturity in each of these 14 places? When I was with my previous company, Saudi Aramco, after Texas City, we went out to do an audit. And, and the department I worked for had five refineries, one in the center of Saudi Arabia, two on the west coast, uh, two on the east coast. Uh, and we, we went out, sorry, three on the west coast. Uh, and we went out. And we put together a maturity assessment to say, right, where, where were we on process safety? And, and as I said before, we had process safety embedded in our safety management system. So we, we took it out and we put together five questions for each of the uh, elements. And we went to each facility and there was a team of six of us. And uh, we went through the uh, 12 elements that we took. We didn't take, take 14, we took 12. And they weren't exactly aligned with OSHA, but, you know, I think 10 of them were. So we went out and we said, right, what's the maturity? And when we came back and put together all of our results, and because we had to present it to the vice president of refining, there was a red line right across the middle of this thing. And it was management of change. Mm. And it seemed to be that was the hardest one to implement. It was the hardest one for people to understand, specifically especially the maintenance people, you know, they've been used to repairing stuff. And if they hadn't got the right bit, oh, we'll go and use this bit. And uh, one of the incidents that I observed was they'd uh, used uh, the wrong steel to uh, fix a particular uh, problem. And this piece of steel had eroded within days and had a leak. And of course, when we did the investigation, we said to the maintenance guy, where'd you get this from? Oh, it was in the workshop. Well, it looked the same as the other one, you know. So, Management of change, and again, Flixborough, um, the big the big incident there in the UK, the, the it's difficult for some people to comprehend. Now, when you look at the other um, 14 elements, training, well, everybody knows what that is. Contractors handling them, we know the difficulties. Mechanically integrity, nearly everybody has inspection programs. And of course, the problem with an inspection program is you find a problem, it doesn't get sometimes fixed for months, whereas if you have a barrier model and you put in the deviations, you'd start to see what the risk was and maybe you want to fix it quicker. Hot work permits, we, we all know what they are. Operating procedures, how to, how to start up, shut down, operate, isolate, confined space. All, all, all of those, um, you know, there's thousands of, of those issued every day all over the world. The PHA, the process hazard analysis, which has to be done before startup and then every five years after. Um, the, the, you know, there's well thought out routines. There's even software available that, that uh, Sphera has to, to, to do that, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, employee participation, workforce involvement. Um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that, I think that training and that go hand in hand that we have to get the people understand. And, and then we went back to the first one we talked about process safety information. Having all this information on hand in an easy to, to use uh, library um, is, is critical to having a, a competent process safety management program. Great. And uh, I guess I have one further question for you. So in, in your career, 
have you come across a country, a company with a safety culture that really impressed you? And what was it about that? Um, you don't necessarily have to name the company, but what was it about that uh, safety culture that really jumped out to you that this is world class? Well, I would have to say that the changes that Saudi Aramco made to their safety culture from introducing their safety management system uh, are pretty close to world class. But then again, I haven't worked in any other company since then. I've visited places um, and everybody has uh, had the posters up on the walls, uh, but I've never been out in the field working and see whether those posters are being reflected in real life. Um, you know, everybody talks a good job on safety. It's it's up to looking at the statistics of of, of you know what incidents they've had, um, what their financial losses are over time, um, and, and maybe this is not the time to look at that. But you know, studying the Marsh 100 incidents, you would see who who hasn't got a good safety culture because they still have an incident. Hmm. Um, I mean, even when I went to Reliance in India, um, their approach to safety was you know. It was top class, but then again, I wasn't allowed into the unit to actually see see the work going on. I think you know all the big companies have have a safety culture. Who's the best? Who's the worst? I, I'm not in a position to say. I, I haven't visited that many. I haven't done specific audits on that many. You know, Dupont sell their models, so maybe maybe they must be doing something right because people <laughs> are buying it. You know. There you go. Uh, was there any uh, question I didn't ask you that you wanted me to ask you about the 14 elements today? Well, I think we covered the discussion was, you know, OSHA's 14, CCPS, I think, have 22, DuPont have others, uh, the UK has a different approach. So, you know, process safety, the 14 elements is, is a starting point. It's the basics. There's always more beyond it. But if you get the basics right, maybe then it's time to start looking beyond it. But helping people get the basics right is, is I think, that way, is the way to go. Fascinating. And just so our listeners know, what are some examples of beyond the basics? Beyond the basics. Um, let, let's look at one of the CCPS ones, Process Safety Competency. They have a program for training engineers and uh, members of management on what is process safety uh, it's uh, developing, sustaining, and enhancing the organization's process safety competency. It's one of the five elements uh, in the commitment to process safety. I'm quoting CCPS as I am a member of the Middle East uh, CCPS um, technical committee, so um, excuse me for that, but uh, I, I do like what they do. Um, Conduct of operation, developing and sustaining high standards in the conduct of operations. So not just accepting what is and always has been, but pushing on for uh, better competency and everything. Can you tell me a little bit about emergency planning and response? Yeah, emergency planning and response. Um, I One of my jobs when I was... Uh, the uh, shift manager was, I was responsible if there was an emergency, I was the the, uh, the person in charge. And during the night shift, when there was an emergency, uh, I, I was the one that everybody was looking to. And we had developed uh, scenarios, response plans, which, you know, take for example, in a crude unit, you've got a seal fire, how, how do you approach it? It's all written down, the 
equipment that you need. And then you have the fire department's response to, you know, where they're going to put the, the fire wagon, where they're going to put the tender, where they're going to put the triage for the uh, medical people. Um, so we performed drills like that and we learned from them. And we had the facilities to respond to identified weaknesses. We call, had a critique meeting and we would put any recommendations. And then nowadays, if I had a barrier model at the time, I would have been able to put the deviations on the barrier model under the emergency planning and response. So that is, to me, uh, one of the key um, parts of process safety is if something does go wrong, being prepared for what could go wrong, discussing what could go wrong. When you do your process hazard analysis, what could go wrong if if this didn't work? And uh, when you actually go to an emergency and you see dead bodies and injured people and you see triage happening for real, you realize that, yeah, th these things, you need to have a plan. You can't just go, oh, we've got a fire, we better go and fight it. No, we've got to have a plan how to fight that particular fire. What's the what's the product that's burning? Uh, is it going to give off any um, environmental issues from from it? You know, from the smoke, from the fumes, and uh, have you how have you have you actually been there when an incident has just taken place like yes. that? Yeah, several in my time. Oh wow! Well, we're gonna have to do a follow up podcast and learn more about that because that's really interesting. Well, my boss calls them more stories and, uh, you know, the, the people ask for them now and again, but there's always something to learn from them. Well, the next podcast will be Andy's war stories because that sounds <laughs> like uh, some really good information that we could get. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Andy. This was really enlightening and I really appreciate it. It's a subject that I'm very passionate about. Thanks, James. This concludes this episode of Sphera Now. For more content on topics such as these, we encourage you to visit sphera.com, S-P-H-E-R-A.com. While there, feel free to click contact and submit feedback on this podcast or suggest topics you'd like to see us cover. Thank you and have a great rest of your day.